Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to experience a grace that heals. Allow this grace to take your life and your relationships to another level as it frees you from the weight of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode as Joel Groh and Lynn Wilder share encouraging stories and candid dialogue that can help you experience a grace that heals. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. I'm Joel Grote. And I'm Lynn Wilder. And we have a dear um, gentleman with us today who's a pastor and a biblical counselor. Dale, um, this is Pastor Dale from Redeemer Arizona Bible Church. certainly a place right in the middle of Mormon territory where many Mormons are coming to investigate biblical Christianity, and many of them have flocked to Pastor Dale's church. Pastor Dale, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here. We are so glad to have you. One of the things that happens in this transition process is If you've been LDS, you're so used to LDS culture, right? You know how to sing hymns, which hymns to sing, what's irreverent, what the prayer pattern is, um, how to interact with people, how to be respectful to people who have certain positions in the church. And then you come to Christianity and everything's different, right? The worship is different, the music's different, the church looks different. And um, these two worlds are very different. Mm -hmm. And particularly if one comes to faith in Jesus Christ and enters this new biblical Christian world, and one is still in the performance-based Mormon world, um, and you're still married, certainly then issues can arise. And I'm sure you've run into this a number of times, Pastor Dale. I have in, in, in separate contexts as well, not just uh, people uh, who come to faith while in an LDS marriage. This, this happens in, in many different faiths um, where people who just don't have a faith that find themselves in a faith and now they're married to somebody with no faith. So yeah, I, I have um, unfortunately a lot of experience with this topic. <laughs> Um, but it's also, it's also, um, it's amazing because I get a front row seat to watch God do some pretty amazing things. Mm. Well, can you give us one of those examples? Can you tell us some of the positive that can come from this? Because one of the things when I was LDS and my world started falling apart because some of my family was Christian now and some were Mormon and this is my perfect family was falling apart. I couldn't see any good coming from that, right? Absolutely. And, I, and I've seen that play out in my office here where uh, somebody, uh, for instance, this is, this is fairly recent in the last uh, six months or so. It was right in the middle of COVID actually. And um, had a gal come in and really want to talk about how does, how does she remain married to a man who doesn't have the same faith as her? Uh, she was a, a relatively new, um, I'll use the word convert to, to what, I, what I call biblical Christianity. Mm-hmm. And um, she was really struggling with like, what does submission look like? Biblical submission when you're married to somebody that doesn't hold your same faith. Uh, yeah. There was also um, a lot of pressure coming into her world from former um, 
her former church members at the LDS church, a lot of, a lot of pressure to come back into the LDS church for the sake of the marriage and for the sake of um, uh, that eternal unity that is so, um, so focused on in the LDS church. So she was coming to me asking, I think very, very valid questions about is, is it, is it real? Are there really differences between the two faiths, which we were able to work through? Um, and also um, what is like, how does she respond um, in this marriage when it's obvious that now her husband doesn't even want to be married to her. And her husband started talking about divorce. Her husband started talking about, I can't remain married to you. He was a, or is a, a temple Mormon. And um, she was really feeling that pressure. So I did spend some time with her. Um, I actually still chat with her to make sure that she's um, doing okay. But if this is a, this is something that hits people, it's real. And yeah. it brings real pressure. It brings real stress. And it's, it's one of the, it's one of the costs, frankly, of following Christ. So here's the question that's got to be on the mind of anybody who's in that position or has been there. So what did you tell her? What does the Bible have to say? How does it inform that sort of relationship in those tensions? Yeah. So the Bible is very clear that the union that we have uh, through Christ with the triune God is, should be the most important relationship in our life period, bar none. The scripture actually calls us to die to self. Uh, and that's, that is, a, if you really sit back and think about what that means, uh, it means that I don't have any rights. I don't have any, um, I don't have a direction other than what God has for me. And that's why we allow the scriptures to inform us. Like, what, what does that mean? What direction does God have for me? And the first thing he tells us when we come into the faith is, a, you know, and this is consistent through the New Testament, and I, I can make arguments out of the Old Testament as well, that once I become a follower of Christ, my mission is his mission. My goals become his goals. Um, in Matthew 28, he gives us, um, he gives us a, a, the great commission. He gives it to his disciples at the time, but it's something we continue to carry on as followers of Christ. That mission embedded in it is a, is a um, reality that life is no longer about us. Life is about bringing him honor and him glory, and then seeking out those who don't know him and who are lost. So our hearts are now turned to others and not self. Does that, does that make sense? So the question, the primary question, if you find yourself in an unequally yoked marriage, the primary question isn't how, how do I work through this? The primary question is how does God work through this? Because I'm now his vessel. I'm now dead in to, to myself and I'm, I'm living for him. And I think you guys talked about this in your last podcast to some degree in first Corinthians seven. Um, if you're, if you're married to an unbeliever and, and he remains with you or she remains with you, your, your mission is to live out your faith in front of that person. And it goes on to say in that text, they might, it might, God might use your life to bring them to faith. So yes. if somebody's willing to stay with you, um, then you stay. So the, the, the whole concept of dying to self is radical, especially in our culture, right? Because you look at it, everything that happens in our culture is targeted towards our pleasure, our, our contentment, our happiness, whatever, yeah. however you want to say our it. Comfort, our comfort, our sense of Drive well-being. this car, yeah. buy this house, and you'll be happy. 
Christianity turns out on its head and says, no, contentment, true contentment is godliness. Godliness for the Christian is pursuing the mission of Christ. Yeah. But he tells us, frankly, that a student is not greater than his master. And because of that, we should expect the very similar trials and hardships that he had while he was here. And yet, I'm not sure that people transitioning from performance-based to religion understand that all of this can work out, that God is worth this. So when I was LDS, I saw my uh, kind of religion as compartmentalized. When I, when I did my callings, I, I thought about Jesus maybe, or when I was praying, but it wasn't an all day, every day, all consuming. My Mormon culture was that way. My church allegiance was that way, but certainly not. Mm-hmm. I didn't think of God all the time, right? I didn't, I, di- I wasn't in submission to, you used that word earlier, right? Um, which probably will rub the audience the wrong way. And so you, you might wanna talk about that word, what it means biblically, but then what are the positives about, right? Submitting yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's a great question. And thank you for that. Um, submission is really just uh, an act of trust. It, it's, it's you it's you laying yeah. down control and saying I trust the person that that I'm working with I'm trust like I submit to a boss Christian submission is the same thing I, I'm going to submit to Christ because I believe that he is good I believe that his law is good um, and I believe that I can rest in that law so I submit to it so um, I know women especially not only probably in the LDS church but in you know, biblical Christianity really struggle with that word as well, because it's not defined for them. So biblical submission is just a laying down and saying, I'm trusting, I'm trusting in God right now, but it doesn't mean you're a floor mat. It doesn't mean that somebody gets to wipe their feet on you every day and sin against you every day and um, mistreat you. That's not what submission means. Biblical submission um, for the, like Ephesians chapter five, wives submit to your husbands. What is being said there? Well, you have to read in context, what is God calling the husband to do? He's calling the husband to love his wife like Christ loved the church. And if you think about how Christ loved the church, the church didn't serve Christ. Christ served the church. He, he laid right. down his life for the church. I, I, I love that scene when, when um, Christ wraps himself in a robe and he bends down. And he's going to wash Peter's feet. And Peter's initial reaction is, no way, Lord. You're not yep. washing my feet. <laughs> this isn't happening. <laughs> right? No way. That, it's like, it's because it's because to the world, it's upside down. I should be washing your feet. You're the king. You're my Lord. I should be serving you. And he says, no, I'm going to serve you. This, this, this is the way it's going to be. That's biblical marriage. Biblical marriage is a husband washing his water or his wife with the water of the word, serving her, developing a relationship where submission isn't an act of um, a fear, which is kind of what our world um, portrays submission as is an act of fear. No, biblical submission is an act of trust. It's an act of faith. Because if, if if I'm serving the Lord as a husband and I'm loving my wife as Christ loved the church, she doesn't have to fear submitting because I have what's best in mind for her. And I'm going to take her somewhere um, as Jesus takes me somewhere. Right. yeah. And, and I think we see this, and this is the other thing that I see often gets overlooked 
or that performance-based religions just completely miss because I don't see it taught. It's that Jesus himself spent his whole life here on earth doing the will of the Father. He never once let his own will, his own desire That's right. go over against. He was always saying, okay, Father, what do you want? And he, he did that in that context of incredible love and trust. He knew the Father had what was best for him. He knew he had the Father's love and approval. And so having that love and approval, he's like, okay, what's your will? And that, that's the incredible thing to me when I think about the life of Christ is that he did the will of the Father perfectly for his whole yeah. life. And that's what we're called to imitate. However hard it seems, however difficult it feels, however uncomfortable it gets, I'm looking for your will and I'm going to look for the strength of your Holy Spirit to do that will. And yeah. then... And, and, and unfortunately, we don't do it perfectly. Right, Joel? No, I mean, we it's, mess up. It's, it's, and that's, <laughs> and that's, that's where grace comes in. That's where the grace that's been provided through the life of Jesus, through his death and then his resurrection is, um, is so amazing. It's almost unspeakable to, to really consider the reality that that life lived and then that death and then that resurrection covers not only this, my sin, but the sin of literally the entire church, right? That everybody yes. that is called unto him, that that act of obedience and that act of love um, that he, that he gave us um, is, is, it's, that's the very defin definition of grace. It, yes. We didn't earn it. It's impossible for us to earn God's favor. Ephesians chapter two says we're born dead because of our transgressions. Our sin uh, in, in way of just being in, in community with the Lord, it's, it's not happening. So we needed a mediator. We needed somebody to come and, and, and pay that price. And it had to be God. And God took on that flesh. He lived the life that we could not live. He died the death that if those of us who follow him and trust in him no longer have to worry about dying, we don't have to worry about the wrath of God anymore. And we right. get, and it's not only the punitive, you know, the penal substitution of Christ. I always think about it as like we're in a courthouse. There's one courtroom where I am absolved of the penal um, uh, reality of my sin that it's covered. I, I'm, 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 I'm um, just set free from my, from I'm guilty, but the judge says, you know what? You're pardoned. Right. You're pardoned. But then Jesus, it doesn't Jesus, all, Jesus took all the wrath of God for us. There's no and, wrath and, left and, for us. And if it ended there, that would be so, it'd be like, thank you. That is so amazing. But it doesn't end there. That's the criminal courthouse. He walks us across the hall and he takes us to the family court. And he says, I now going to adopt you. You're now my son. You're now my daughter. So it's not only we, we escape the wrath of God. It's also now we get to enjoy what it means to be a part of his family. And that is, that is mind blowing. And if you think about what grace is and you don't include both of those, you're not thinking about grace correctly. Right. So grace covers us um, for the wrath of God, but it also blesses us for the community that we have with the Godhead and then the community we have with the church, which gets us back to the topic of the conversation. When we don't have that, that community with our spouse, we don't have that spiritual connection with our spouse. How do you live through that in a way 
that is going to be honoring to this God who's given you everything. And that's not performance-based. The difference between performance-based religion and a religion of grace is performance-based, I have stuff to do. I have to accomplish as a checklist or yes. something I must do to earn God's favor. The Bible teaches there's nothing you can do. He had to do it. And because of that, you get to spend the rest of your life serving him and worshiping him. And also the rest of eternity serving him and worshiping him. It's not based on what you bring to the table. It's based on what he has already accomplished and now offers you as a free gift. So my question is then, as you counsel, like, let's go back to the example you started with, with this woman now yes. who's in this mixed marriage. So what are the practical, what's the practical direction? How does that start working out practically in a marriage yeah. for her? It has to start with the reading of the word. It has to start knowing God's character. It has to know starting about, um, starting with who he is and then who you are in him. Uh, if, you, if you rob yourself of the daily feasting of the word, you're not going to be prepared, frankly, to, um, to do the, the, I don't want to use the word battle because that's not the right word, but it, to be in that environment and to thrive in it, it you're, it's going to depend upon you feasting on God's word on a daily basis. And then the second part of that, there's three parts. The second part is prayer. After you read, after, you've, after you continually read about who God is, you have to pray. You, you, have to, you have to submit yourself to a pattern of prayer, not for God's sake, but for your sake. Because there's, there's something about prayer where you're, where you're showing a dependence, right? When I, when I either proverbially or literally bow my knee and I pray to God, I'm, I'm showing a, a dependence upon him. Um, that I'm not, if I, that I don't um, show if I'm not praying. Right. Well, and, and we're called third, a relationship. I mean, so correct. the word is God speaking to us. He tells us right. who he is, what he wants, what's going to be best for That's us. Good. And in prayer, we respond back. We say, wow, okay, based on this, here's me. Here's yeah. what I'm struggling with. Here's what I need. Here's where I want to go. And I don't know so about you guys, but my prayer life often is like, Lord, what are you doing? I've I prayed no that a few idea. times. <laughs> I have no idea what you're up to right now. I am, I am lost. I, I have no clue what you're up to. And I think sometimes people are afraid to pray that way. Um, but remember, this is not the, the legal judge that you know, is going to send us to heaven or hell. That's already been covered. This is our father. Yeah, this is our Abba. This is our father. Is so when I reach out to the Lord and say, Lord, I have no idea what you're doing. I, I just, I just feel like that's, that's what I should be saying because it's the truth. Right. So yeah. the third part, the third part of the, of the process, if you find yourself in, in a situation where you're unequally yoked is you have to have other community. You have to have a local church. You have to have a, a community group, something where you're able to um, share uh, and help people share the burden that you have other people praying for you. Um, you want to surround yourself with people who, who know the word and who are going to be able to help you um, navigate what it's like to be married to somebody who doesn't share your faith. So here's a real practical question. I don't know if Lynn, you've ever had this happen or, or Dale, if you have, but what does, and again, could be, could be husband or wife, but what if the non-believing spouse says, I really don't want you going to this other Christian church? 
I, I just, I don't think that's, I don't think that's right. And especially within the Mormon hierarchical system, the male is the priesthood holder within uh, Mormonism. What, how does a wife respond to that in a way that both shows her trust in God and seeks to honor him? Yeah, we can teach a whole semester on that topic. <laughs> so I'll do my best to answer it in a few, in a yeah. few seconds. So, so going back to your question, the, um, you have to be very careful here. So I want to I be very gentle how I say this, because I know that um, conversations are very, very important uh, when, we're, when we're talking about the differences between biblical Christianity and um, whether it's New Age or whether it's wh whatever the religion is, LDS in this, in this context. The Bible does not give um, authority in, in a sense of you can or you can't to anybody. So if the Holy Spirit is inside of you and you are living for Christ, your Lord at that point is Christ. And Christ says, do not forsake the fellowship of other believers in the book of Hebrews. So, um, and what he modeled for us was Christian unity Christians doing life together. You submit to the authority of the scriptures and, and the word of Christ. And I think that combined with prayer, because God is able to change a person's heart. And, you know, even doing that can be done in a way that doesn't create Yeah, I'm not undue. saying go to war. I'm definitely not saying go to war and throw, throw you know, glasses <laughs> at people and coffee cups. But what I'm saying is you lovingly explain to that person asking you to do this. You lovingly tell them, that your understanding of the scripture says that you cannot submit to that. And, and I, I get it. There's, that could bring some problems. I totally understand that. But ultimately what we talked about at the very beginning is who are you living your life for and what is your identity? And if you're a follower of Christ, there's going to be, there's going to be some confrontation. There's going to be some um, hard things that you're going to have to go through. Uh, and this is, what you guys are talking about is an example of a hard thing that a Christian would have to go through. Yeah. Dale, when I first got saved and I'm walking this walk and my husband wasn't quite there with me, one of the things I, I found was women's Bible study. Mm -hmm. So that that became kind of my first step into fellowship with other Christians. It was that place for me to walk with people who knew the word, who could answer my questions, who had compassion and understanding for me. And literally, I went to one Bible study for a year before I ever opened my mouth. First of all, the language is so different. The culture is different. The worldview, everything was different. Mm -hmm. I'm taking it in, right? But I'm not, <laughs> I'm not knowing what to do with it yet. And so um, that might be a good first step. For folks who are very new believers that might be less offensive or even an online Bible study, Bible study fellowship, um, neighborhood Bible study, because for someone coming from LDS, becoming like a member of another church, it really is, then becomes quite a battle. And there is a time for that battle. Probably it might not be your first day as a new Christian. That's so wise, Lynn. I, I love that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't think it's day one, that's for sure. Um, one of the things that, that we encourage people here is to, um, <clears throat> we try to connect 
LDS, people coming out of LDS, or even people in LDS who were showing up at our church and asking questions and, and you know, kind of here incognito, we, we try to connect them with another former LDS person or couple. Mm. And, and we really, yeah. um, we encourage that um, slow and steady transition. Mm. Um, so in no way am I saying um, that once you leave the LDS church that you should go to war with your spouse, no. You want, it, you want it to be a transition because that's what 1 Corinthians 7 is getting at. You want to be able to model right. in, front of, in front of your spouse what following Jesus, the, the Jesus of the Bible, what following Jesus looks like. And um, I, th I think it's so wise, Lynn. Thank you for bringing that up. Because I have a tendency just to kind of go to the end. But yeah, there is, there is a transition. <laughs> right. sure. and it's all, well, I and just it, knew it took me a long time to figure out even what meant, let alone me be an example. But wow, we've gotten into some cool stuff and we need to move on, don't we? Don't. Right, um, because we're at time for this episode. Oh, wow. So We are, and I can't wait to start the next one so we can talk to Pastor Dale some more about these issues. So thank you so much for being with us. For all of you who are listening and part of the podcast, we are delighted as always to have you with us. And uh, if you don't want to miss an episode, the best way to do that is to simply subscribe. And you can do that on iTunes, on, wow, almost anywhere you can find a podcast, you can now find the Unveiling Grace podcast. So we invite you to do that. As always, if you don't understand anything that's been said or it seems confusing or bizarre to you, please reach out to us. We're more than happy. Unveilinggracepodcast.com to be helpful. Yep. You could write either Lynn or I there or any of our guests for that matter. So please feel free to do that. Thank you, Pastor Dale. Grace and peace. Until next time. Thank so long. Thank you for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. Join us next time for another conversation devoted to helping your life and relationships flourish. As always, you can find show notes, program transcripts, and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. For a limited time, we are offering the Wilder's book, Seven Reasons We Left Mormonism, for a donation of any amount. Go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the free book button to request yours. We greatly appreciate your support for the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals.